Today we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 35. It's always helpful to have your Bible open to follow along. So if you don't have one, there's a a blue one in the chair in front of you, and that's on page 595. And we're also going to look at a corresponding quote from Isaiah 35 in Matthew 11. So if you find that passage as well, Matthew 11, beginning with verse 2. So Isaiah chapter 35 and Matthew chapter 11. Let's uh, stand together as we read God's word. I'm going to begin with Matthew chapter 11. Now when John, this is John the Baptist, heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and he said to him, Are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you heard and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Now let's turn back to Isaiah chapter 35 and we'll read all 10 verses. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad and the desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it. The majesty of Carmel and Sharon, they shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands, make firm the feeble knees, say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, and with the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. And a highway shall be there and it shall be called the way of holiness. The clean shall not pass over, the unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow in sighing shall flee away. You may be seated and let's take a moment to reflect on God's word. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel, that mourns in lonely exile here, until the That song, don't you want to listen to the rest of it? 
No, you're saying no, Paul. We'd rather listen to you. That's what you're supposed to say. It's not good if I have to tell you what you're supposed to tell me. But the, the, I really love that song, and one of the reasons I love the song is because the music fits with the words that the, the writer is trying to express. It's these longing lyrics, and the longing is communicated just in the music itself. And I believe that Isaiah could have written these same longing words because Isaiah lived in a time in Israel that he's watching the sun set on his country. And he can't do anything about it. He's the preacher, and he keeps trying to warn his people that they're going in the wrong direction, but they refuse to listen. And instead of partnering with the Lord, who had been the one who had even brought them to the promised land, they, they, they formed strategic partnerships with the world. They, they abandoned the Lord to be the, their savior and said, no, I, we think something in the world, some power in the world can save them. And Isaiah just writes so beautifully. He describes it very briefly in chapter 31. Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help. See, they've come out of Egypt. Now they're going back down to form a, a partnership with Egypt. And they rely on horses who trust in chariots because there are many and in horsemen because they are very strong, but they no longer look to the Holy One of Israel or consult the Lord. See, the sun is setting. Verse 3, the Egyptians are man and not God, and their horses are flesh and not spirit. When the Lord stretches out his hand, the helper will stumble. That's Egypt. And he who has helped Israel will fall. They will all perish together. You see what he's saying? You, you had this partnership with the Lord, and instead you formed a strategic partnership with the world. And I'm telling you what's going to happen. The thing of the world is going to evaporate, and you're going to be devoured as well. But, but they refuse to listen. So he's watching the sun set, and he's watching the the darkness roll over Israel like a dark cloud, and it resulted in being captive and mourning and lonely exile, and they're enslaved hundreds of miles from home. The hope in the song is the refrain. Remember that? Rejoice. I mean, I, I know the lonely exile, but but don't let that... Think, don't let you think that's the end of the story. Why? Rejoice, rejoice. Take joy because Emmanuel will what? He's going to come to you. That's the whole gospel in that song. You, you're enslaved. You, you've created, because of sin, a partnership with the world. You've attached yourself to a person, a, a thing, a piece of property, popularity, money. It just is an endless number of opportunities to say, this is the thing that's going to give me hope. This is going to be the thing that gives me life. And you find out sooner or later that that crutch isn't strong enough to hold your weight. And when it breaks and when it dissolves and, and your body doesn't work like you had hoped it would if you were a 39-year-old woman. If your money evaporates, 
If your degree doesn't get you to the point that you had hoped you would be at at the time you were 25 or 45, if your family isn't operating the way you had it in mind when you started having a family, when you put your hope in those things and they evaporate, you fall down. You get devoured by those same things. But that's not the end of the story, the writer wants to say, and so does Isaiah. They want to say, but rejoice because Emmanuel, he's coming to you. He's not expecting you to get out of it. He's saying, I'm going to come to you in that place. That's the entire gospel. And we could just stop the sermon right here. We won't. Don't, don't, don't get any thoughts. But that's the whole point of the Bible. We've gotten enslaved hundreds of miles away from our original home. And God is coming himself in the flesh, Emmanuel. That the same hope is expressed in the song. You see there at the end of verse 4. Say to those who have anxious hearts, be strong. Why? Because he will come and save you. And I love this in Chapter 10, or verse 10, the very end. They shall obtain gladness and joy. It Really a better reading is if you're reading from the NIV. It says, uh, you will be overtaken with joy. It's, it's not something you're going to go obtain. It's something that's going to overtake you. You're in darkness and joy is just going to overtake you. I don't know if you've ever been on the beach where it's kind of cloudy and, a, and the sun comes out way down the beach. You've seen this? And you watch the sun run up the beach and you're waiting for it, if you're me, and it rolls over you and you're like, yes, that's what it's going to be like. You're, you're sitting in this dark cloud and you can't outrun this joy. It's going to overtake you. That's, the, that's what Isaiah is trying to tell his people who are going to be in exile. Yes, this is a hard time. And yes, you've leaned on something that has evaporated and you've gotten swallowed by it. But take joy. God's going to come and joy's actually going to overtake you. So in this sermon, I just want to do two simple things. One, I want to spend a few minutes just like staring at a beautiful painting of eternity, which is what Isaiah mostly is trying to paint here. So it would be like if we were all at a museum and we're just beholding something beautiful, like, wow. And we're just going to point out a few things in this painting. And then I want to take note of the key role each of us has right now. So we're going to stare at the future, and then we're going to say, okay, so but what do we do right now? We're not in that place. We're going to that place. We have our eyes on that place. We had our heads lifted up to that place, but what do we do right now? So first of all, this beautiful picture, you see it in verse, just begins right away. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. And the glory of Lebanon shall be given to it. So all this, the, the fruitful plain in Israel, Lebanon, Carmel, Sharon, it's all, gonna, all the deserts are going to uh, burst forth with life. And, and creation itself is going to see the glory of the Lord, the majesty 
of our God. And then in verse 6, waters are going to break forth in the wilderness, streams in the desert. Burning sand shall become like a pool, and the thirsty ground will become springs of water. Just such a great picture. Wilderness and dry land and desert are going to be glad. They're going to move from barrenness to blossoming. And when Isaiah looks at this, he's saying, at least in part, when God finally comes, the final picture is creation itself is going to be renewed. I don't know if you know much about the crocus. If you're from the northeast and you plant flowers, what's the very first flower that comes out even through the snow? It's this little crocus. And when you're in the northeast and it's been cold for like 40 years, you, you, you want something to come through the snow. You want to say there's, I, I don't see it yet, but there's like a hint of it. See this in the Chronicles of Narnia, especially in the very first movie. Just while it's still snowing, flowers are starting to bloom through the, the ice. One, one writer said, when it seemed like winter will never lose its icy grip, the crocus pushes through the snow to put on a show of colorful revival. When the Bible says when, when man fell away from God, sinned, they didn't just fall, fall away from the Lord. All of creation went down that same hole. And so when God comes back, if you enjoy creation now, imagine when the Lord comes back. As, as Lewis would say, it's going to wake up from its long sleep. Psalm 98, shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into song, let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. And so Isaiah wants to to at least say, hey, whatever kind of barrenness you may be in in the world right now, in in creation, it's going to come alive. But I think he's also using this real picture about creation to also help you see about something about your own heart. The the visible conditions of creation, the desert, the dry land, is is meant to describe the invisible conditions of the human soul. A human soul disconnected from God is a wilderness. It's a desert. And, And when it finally gets connected to God, it rejoices with joy and singing. When you, when you just realize that what God's done for me, you can't just say, yeah, God did this for me. You, but why? Because it, 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 it inspires you to say something. You just can't say it. You've got to sing it. And that's what, that's what Isaiah is trying to say, that there's, there's this song that when you know who Jesus is, it, it bursts out. A couple of weeks ago, I was taking my friend out to dinner. My eight-year-old friend, Joshua. And the reason we went out, we go out to dinner a lot, but the reason we were going out to dinner this time is because we had just done the communicants class. So he joined in that, uh, um, that group two weeks ago. And so I said, hey, after, after I did the interview, he was nervous, and he sat on the front of his seat, and Angela Perriman helped him, and he got all the answers right, and he was just so happy. I think he was happy to know the Lord. I think he was happy to have gotten it over with. 
I think he was happy that he was going to be part of this family. I think there are a lot of different emotions going through him. And I said, hey, let's just go out to eat. Before I take you home, let's go out to eat. So we're driving there, and he said, hey, Pastor Paul, can I use your phone to play my favorite song? And I'm, what's my thinking? No, no, really, you can't do that. But I'm, I'm trying to help him, so I said, what is it? I'll type it in. Uh, give us clean hands. And so we just typed it in and got it up on. And so we bow our hearts. We bend our knees. And he just starts singing all by himself. And I thought, he can't just say something. Something's happened. He's going to sing about it. His whole being is being changed and when your whole being is being changed it's like creation waking up and and you just like a crocus you you grow through all the icy parts of your life and say it's not all done right now but god's doing something in my heart right now amen so i think that's that's the picture both creation outside and a creation inside and i hope that most of you know that part of this picture can be filled in right now by Jesus. John chapter 8. Jesus stands up in a banquet and says, is anyone thirsty? Obviously not physically thirsty. Anybody got a soul that's like a dry land, like a desert? Come to me and I will give you a drink. And whoever believes in me, streams of living water will flow from him. And I wonder... If you came with a friend, you, you wandered in today, and you'd say, yeah, if I, if I look at my soul, it's like a desert. It's like a dry land. I, I'm, I'm the person who had been leaning on this thing, and it's breaking down, and I'm getting swallowed by it. And we would love to talk to you about Jesus if that's where you are today. Another part of the picture Verse 5, then, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped, and the lame man shall leap like a deer. See, when God comes, there's not only going to be healing and creation, there's going to be healing in my own body. Amen. Some of you are going, I can't wait for that day. There's going to, you're going to get a, a different body that doesn't break down. And, and I think about John the Baptist here, which is why we looked at Matthew 11. John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus, the one who says, prepare a way. You know, somebody's coming. And then he gets imprisoned, John the Baptist does. And I, I'm just guessing he's thinking, hey, I've been talking about this Messiah, this king that's going to come. And it's not looking too good for me. And did I get the right person? I've invested my whole life in pointing people to Jesus, but now I'm in prison. He's about ready to get his head chopped off. Did I do the right thing? Did I point people in the right direction? So he tells some of his friends who are free, can you go tell Jesus I'm wondering if I've pointed to the right person. And what does Jesus do? He quotes Isaiah 35. And he says, John, I know you're in a dark place. But something's breaking into the world right now. Some people are being healed. 
And it's just a sign. It's not the end, but it's the beginning of a sign. And, and you're going to stay in prison and your head's going to be chopped off. So in this season, it's not going to look good for you, but trust that joy is going to overtake you one day. And you'll be so glad that you didn't stumble, that you didn't fall away. And he sends that message back to John. And I wonder if you might be in that place I mean, you know the Lord, but you're in prison. Some situation has gotten a hold and you just can't seem to control it. And it feels like maybe I've given myself to the wrong person. Maybe he's not actually going to come through. And in this lifetime, it may not look that good. I Remember Isaiah? He got sawn in two. So we're not looking at a picture today. We're looking at a picture of eternity. And when somebody's in a dark place, you need to give them some hope that there is a day that joy is going to overtake your soul, overtake your whole body, overtake all of creation. But Jesus knows something that John the Baptist doesn't, I don't think, quite see. That before the, the final picture comes... Something else has to happen. It can't just be the birth of Jesus. Verse 9 and 10. People who are going to walk in this new eternity are going to be redeemed. Two words, you can just circle them. Redeemed, end of verse 9, beginning of verse 10, ransomed. So, John, before the picture is complete, something needs to happen. People need to be redeemed. People need to be ransomed. So, if you heard the word redeem in a biblical culture, what you would know is what's happened is somebody's lost their inheritance. Uh, for, For foolish reasons or whatever reasons, they've lost their inheritance and they're now enslaved. And they need somebody called a redeemer. And the redeemer is somebody who is related to them. It's often called a kinsman redeemer. I need somebody who's relationally connected to me who can come back and redeem me. But the redeeming isn't just asking for the person back. It costs something. There's a ransom to be paid. The price that the person cannot pay, the Redeemer has to come in and he has to pay it in order for you to be set free. Now, we all know what that is already, do we not? This is a description of what Jesus has to do. He's the kinsman Redeemer. He's our near relative. He's he's the Son of Man. He's come back and said, hey, I'm here to, to be the Redeemer. I'm taking people who lost their inheritance and get them back in the right place. But there's a price that has to be paid, and he pays the price. He pays the ransom price so that when he dies on the cross, one of his last words, it is finished. Meaning, it's paid in full. Everything is paid. Now... 
All you have to do is trust in this Redeemer. And so this is a beautiful picture of a rapidly approaching reality for every, everyone who trusts in the Redeemer, who trusts that they, he's ransomed them. He's actually paid the price. Everlasting joy. You see those words? Everlasting joy is going to be on your heads. And one day you're going to be overtaken by joy. So that's a picture all of us need to see regularly. We just need to say that's a coming reality. It's, it's coming faster than we think. It's, it's going to be here sooner than we think. And it, and it helps me get through the dark times that I might be imprisoned right now. And that leads me to the key role each of us has until that final painting is complete. And that role is easily seen in verse 3 and 4. So you have this great picture. What are we supposed to be doing now? Strengthening the weak hands. Make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God, he will come and save you. So in in order for us to reach home, in order for us to, to get home, We have to be encouraging one another. We have to be reminding ourselves of this picture. And you're supposed to strengthen hands. You're supposed to make firm, uh, you know, uh, feeble knees. You're supposed to say, be strong. Don't you need that kind of encouragement? There's some days you just go, I can't hold on. I can't move forward. And what has God graciously provided for us at those times? People who will hold on for us. People who will hold on to our knees and say, let's go one more step. That's the whole idea of this weak hands and feeble knees. Somebody saying, I can't hold on. I can't move forward. And every day, I'm sure you meet people who don't have the strength to go on. They're stressed out as a business person. They're lonely. They're struggling as a parent in some way. They're discouraged in their faith. And God intends for us to give our strength to another person. That's what he wants. And notice, you've got to put your hands on somebody. You've got to be close enough to say, I see your hands are slipping. I'm going to grab your hands and grab hold. And that group of people is right here. That's what your church is supposed to do. That means if you're, if you're in trouble, you need to call somebody. It might be somebody in your community group. might be somebody on the staff. might be somebody sitting next to, next to you. But you also have to be prepared when somebody calls you to be the person who can give strength to another person. You might remember the, the video clip that I showed from Proverbs this past summer when I talked about friendship. Proverbs 18, a man of many companion comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And so I talked about friendship and I showed the the Lord of the Rings clip. You remember this? So Frodo decides, hey, it's better for me to make the journey on my own. Very foolish decision. And he gets in this little canoe and he starts rowing out. And who comes chasing after him? Samwise Gamgee, right? 
And he can't swim, but he's just going to jump in the water and start going for it. And finally, they both get in the canoe and sort of breathlessly, Samwise Gamgee says to his friend, I made a promise. Don't you leave him, and I don't mean to. And I'm wondering if you have a friend like that. There is a friend who sticks closer to a, than a brother. I wonder if you are a friend like that. Or, you know, I'm, I, I like to stick to the person when it's good, but when it gets bad, I'm not very sticky. I'm really good for you when you're good, but when it all seems dark, I'm, not, I'm not really not a great companion. Well, God needs us to have, he wants us to have, those kinds of relationships. People who can say to an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Don't be afraid. Keep moving forward. Somebody to come in and just remind them of what they already know, but you get lost in your own head and you can't hear it, so you need a, an outside voice. And I think it's so important just to see that even the greatest spiritual giants need this kind of refreshment. Apostle Paul, in his very last letter, Second Timothy, he's writing to his friend, mostly out of a desperation. He's in this dark prison cell, and it's his final letter, and he says to his friend, Timothy, Timothy, I know you're aware that all who are in Asia, they've turned away from me. All these people I've invested in, they're, they're turning away. But may the Lord grant mercy to the household of, uh, of Nesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of me. He searched for me and he found me. The, the word refreshed means to breathe life into somebody. You see what Paul the Apostle is saying? I'm dying spiritually. I'm dying inside before I'm dying physically. And somebody had to come in over and over and breathe their life into my lungs so I could continue on. And maybe that just caused him to stay a little bit longer and write this great letter that we have right now. So I'm wondering if that's, that's such a powerful picture, if you're doing that or you need that. Do you have somebody who can be that to say, be strong, don't be afraid. I know it seems like it's not going to work out right now. And it may not work out right now, but you can trust in the Lord. Let's look at this picture together and help each other home. Behold, your God, say to them, behold, your God will come. He's coming against the wicked. So if you're being overtaken by wickedness, just know he's going to deal with that and he's going to come and he's going to save you. There's a great story about Alexander Solzhenitsyn. Some of you might have read a book by him in high school. He was a Russian writer who spent years in a Siberian prison or what they called a gulag. Very terrible conditions. And at one point he becomes completely discouraged and decides he's going to give up and die. And the way he plans it is he's going to be out in the field one day. He's just going to lean on his shovel and stop working. And he's seen this happen many times. When that happens, the guards come and give you a warning. And if you don't continue to work, they beat you to death. And as he stops there and the guards come, 
Another prisoner reached over with his shovel and quickly drew a cross at Alexander's feet. And then he erased it quickly before the guards came. Solzhenitsyn said later that his entire being was energized by that one little reminder of hope and courage. He found the strength to continue because a fellow believer cared enough to remind him of our hope. See, that's, that's really a, I hope you see how important that little role is. Onesiphorus, he comes and he just breathes life into somebody. This, this prisoner we're not going to meet here just draws a cross and then quickly races it and says, you, you know, you can carry on. Let's keep this picture. Let's don't be afraid. So one day you're going to be overtaken by joy. That's why the joy candle. You got to look at that. You got to know it's true. And then it feels like darkness is coming around you. You got to have somebody who can put your hands on your hands when you can't hold on. They're strong enough to hold on for two people. And then you have to be that person. Let's pray together. Lord, we live in a a time that in many ways, doesn't look hopeful. It looks chaotic at best. And we don't know. The sun may be setting on our country like it was for Israel. But our role is to, to remain faithful, to, to hold on, and to encourage one another as, as people get tired, as people get discouraged, Courage, they get dismayed, that maybe they've given their life to the wrong thing, that we would come around each other, especially in this Christmas season, to say, don't, don't be afraid, be strong. And if you can't be strong, I'll be strong enough now for two. Would you bless your people with your Holy Spirit? Would you give them the, the power and the hope of this eternal picture and cause them to go and encourage one another. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.